Chris, I'm a teen librarian at the Lakewood Branch. Joining me today, we have... I am Brielle. I'm also a Lakewood YA teen librarian. And I am Rachel. I am a teen librarian at the Barnegat Branch. Today's episode will be focused on dystopian novels. Do you have a favorite dystopian novel? I can start with this one. One of my very favorite dystopian novels, and this is also the novel that kind of got me really into reading, is The Red Queen by Victoria Aveyard. I love that series. So that book takes place in a dystopian world where people are separated by blood. So you have either red or silver blood. And the red bloods are commoners. They live in poverty, don't have much to eat. And then the silvers are elite and they have godlike superpowers. And the main character is Mare Barrow, who is a 17-year-old red girl from the stilts. And then she gets a job at a silver palace as a servant. And then she finds out She has superpowers, but she has red blood. So she's like, how can this be? So the silver elites kind of hide her in plain view as a long lost silver princess. And she knows not to defy the rules or anything they're asking her to do because she knows it could cost her her life. She is silently working with a red guard, a military resistance group to bring down the silver regimen. And she's able to give them information from inside the silver palace where she's being hidden by the silver elite it is a series of about four books i think and they're wonderfully written i love those books so much they're relatively new i never heard of that <sighs> they're not real new i think the first one came out in like 15 or 16 that author also wrote um realm breaker Okay. That's you, like, are you familiar with that one? Yeah. That's cool. a duology. Yeah. She was just the same author. We shave them. We not shave them. We show them often. We shave them. <laughs> those go out a lot in our branch. Oh, okay. Okay. So those two we definitely have seen. I really like the We Set the Dark on Fire duology by Taylor K. Mayha. The first book is from Danny's perspective, and the second book is from Carmen's. And in the society, the wealthy people get two wives, one to basically run your household, do all the financing, budgeting, hard math kind of things, and one to like be softer and raise the kids and be like flowery and girly. And Danny faked her identity basically as a child to be trained to do this, to like have a better chance at life. So that way she's not living outside the walls of like the city that has like all the money and rise above her station and she gets re- like one of the um resistance groups reaches out to her and is like hey look you're getting married to like the prince so we need you to like be our inside man and try and like screw things up get us information and she's like no i'm already like faking my identity like this is not my jam and they're like yeah we know you're faking your identity we're gonna screw everything up for you if you don't help us so it's like her kind of like figuring out where her morals lie is she in it for just herself and to help everyone and then she's like living there with Carmen the other wife and she's like oh I'm not like real into the prince I am kind of into Carmen though and then like the second book you get Carmen's perspective and like what's going on with Carmen and her like life uh, and like the two of them kind of try to figure out how to work together and like where does everyone stand so it was really cool and really enjoyable um with the politics and then also like a little romance. And the other one I read recently was uh, Cake Eater by Allison Dolan. 
which is a futuristic dystopian about Marie Antoinette basically being a clone or to be basically new Marie Antoinette, except a little more aware of what's going on. And so it's cool because it wants history. So you're like, Marie Antoinette famously got her head chopped off. So where are we going with this YA novel? I saw that one. Yeah, it's like just a ticking clock of like, it looked interesting. It's good. Yeah. Um, it's really good. So like, if you know history, you're like, mm, we know where things are going. How are we getting there? Also, are we really going to kill off our protagonist? <laughs> I feel like that would make people want to keep reading the book too. Because if you know how it ends, then you just want to know like how they're going to get there. Yeah. 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 I guess my favorite as a child was City of Ember. We actually talked about that at the middle school recently, like in the yeah. fall. And I think they still sometimes read it in the schools, but it's just fun. It's like a very wholesome, fun, almost treasure hunty story uh, about the society that is living underground, but they're losing resources and are trying to figure out a way to get above ground before the lights go out. And I just really like the dynamic between the two main characters. I think it might be hinted that they might like each other, but it wasn't focused on romance. It was like really just focused on uncovering like the truth behind the politics of the town and why they're losing stores of power and like how to get above ground it was just very fun action adventure book i remember enjoying that a lot as a child and then um i also have the giver i have dune uh honorable mention fahrenheit 451 so all of my are <laughs> a bit old but uh I like my grandma choices. <laughs> I love Fahrenheit 451. It's our whole thing. Don't yeah. books. Yeah. Some of them I read for school, but like, so so some things are a little tainted. It's like you've read them for school or you have to read them for school. But then sometimes I've gone back as an adult or or even later and I've reread some of our school reads and, and I've still enjoyed them. Now that actually leads us into our second question of how does classic and modern day dystopia differ? Yeah, and I think I brought that up with you earlier because, like, there's a lot of bleed over, especially with sci-fi. So the follow-up question to that is, like, where is the hard line? I'm not saying there isn't dystopian fantasy as well, but it usually, like, leans sci-fi. I think dystopian is a subgenre underneath fantasy and sci-fi, but I think the emphasis has to be on society and how they're set up and what they're doing and how they deal with it. Just like the how society has crumbled and this now dystopian way of managing people has come about and the wrongs it's doing and the characters trying to push back against that. Because there's plenty of dystopian settings in sci-fi and fantasy, but the focus isn't completely on that. Yeah, it's like sci-fi, like sci-fi um, dystopian always differentiate between post-apocalyptic of yeah. like there's a moral and like kind of like a goal for it like i love the mad max movies but like, yeah that's post-apocalyptic they're not telling me like hey my great rhetoric very much was like don't ban books don't just get sucked into like watching tv and listening to the radio all the time like cool that was a moral to this dystopian mad max is like we're gonna go have adventures and like basically just, it's just him trying to get his stuff back all the time <laughs> Yeah, I haven't read too much classic dystopians besides what I did for school. I read Animal Farm for a summer reading book, and I didn't even like it that much. It was really weird. It was just about a pig that walks on two legs, and I don't even have much to say about it. It was just really weird. Um, <laughs> oh, it's all historical allegory. So, like, yes. I my teacher used to be a history teacher, so she got like real deep into the history. <laughs> 
and like Oingo Boingo has a song about it too. Yeah. So it's just like, oh, I love this. Yeah. Yeah, I think the emphasis on society and how it's oppressing our our main cast is what makes it more of a dystopian than just like a general post-apocalyptic or sci-fi or fantasy novel. And then I feel like the common themes of the human spirit and resilience and teamwork are kind of central focus around those as well. Yeah. I find another central focus is also like that big figure that people worship collectively. Like I know in 1984, that's kind of what that was about. Because I also find that classic dystopian might predict the near future, I kind of feel like. Because 1984 came out in what, the 40s? The 1940s? The 60s? 60s, yeah. So it's like they were saying, like, this is what the world's going to be like in 20 years. And I mean, yeah, there are some books that are like, this is what North America is going to be like in the year 3000. But, like, we're not going to be alive to see that. Yeah. So. The older stuff is a little bit more immediate. Like, Fahrenheit 451 ends with the nuclear bomb going off because it's kind of like Cold War era. And then. Yeah. The Handmaid's Tale is like set five years from now or something like yeah, crazy I, soon. It only lasts like five years. And they're like, yeah, it's collapsed immediately. It was unsustainable. Yeah, we were talking about this a little bit earlier too, but I also think it's just like the level of reading. Like some of the more classic dystopian novels like 1984 or even Feed a little bit. Yeah, I love um, Anderson's Feed is fantastic. The reading level is a bit higher because I think it's just now a classic novel. And so things from anywhere between the 40s to the early 80s read a bit drier and have more elevated language, whereas modern day is more geared towards the reading level of middle and high schoolers. And it's more accessible for them. Like, they're the ones yeah. that make the change. Like, not the adults. Like, this, yeah. like they're like, <laughs> oh, it's dystopian sci-fi. It's for, like, adults and the mature yeah. and, like they're smart enough to handle it and mature enough. And I'm like, yeah, give it to the teens and like the middle schoolers. They are kind of fully capable of handling this and like yeah. understanding the themes. Yeah. And also being able to like look at apply and be like, where are the change? Like that's the demographic that's going to be the change mm-hmm. for things that people are like, you have the chance to like change things while you're young. Yeah. <laughs> so we can shift now instead of like, well, miss that chance. Yeah. I mean, like I said, accessibility is important. So like if you, if you compare the reading level of the first Hunger Games to 1984, 1984 reads like a textbook. And I, and I get why it's important to talk about and the concepts in the books, especially the older dystopian novels are really important to talk about because they parallel today's world, like you were saying, Rachel, but like the reading level is just so much higher and drier. Whereas Hunger Games, you can kind of relate more to the characters. The reading level is a little easier. You kind of just very quickly go through it. So I feel like that's the kind of a big difference in what makes them more accessible. Yeah, they're they're more character focused than like more first plot. person. Yeah, first person. Like, yeah, you get to feel the feelings. Third person and like omnipresent was still pretty big in older novels. So if making YA first person had a big shift in relatability and accessibility for young readers. What are some of the favorite factors, situations, characteristics that make up dystopian society or dystopian novels for you guys? I think definitely the cornerstone is how the society is working. So the general world building setting, and especially the way the government works, usually that's a big focus on what system is governing the people and therefore oppressing them. Yeah, I know one of my favorites is also 
the dystopian world is something that we feel like could be a utopia, but it's actually a dystopia, if that makes sense. Like, I think a good example of that is the book Scythe by Neil Shusterman. And that takes place in a world where we have ridded the world of all natural death. So there's no crime. There's no disease. If you jump off a building, they will bring you back to life. But how to stop the world from becoming overpopulated, they have scythes who end lives. So two teens get taken on as a size apprentice, which neither of them really want. And they're basically told, here are five people. Pick who you want to kill today. So you can't kill too much. You can't do it too little. It's like you have to keep the world in balance. And, you know, thinking of like, oh, me nor my family is going to get sick and die. Like, that sounds awesome. But no, it's really not because you could turn around and a scythe could be standing right behind you at any point moment in life i wanted to read that looks really good yeah i was like this cover looks great and i just based off the cover i'm like i want to read this no idea what the plot is to be very for telling me very popular at our branch it's yes yeah, it's yeah. Super popular the middle school also really enjoyed it yeah as well so i know it goes out yeah <laughs> i feel like this is gonna be like required reading at some point possibly in like five years yeah, right. it's not already because like you can have good discussions about ethics and morals and stuff like that in it too. Yeah. If, if you but, can have kids read Lord of the Flies, they can read Scythe. Oh, I forgot Lord of the Flies. That is technically dystopian. It Even is. It's, it's contemporary. They create their own dystopia just by situation. <laughs> Don't leave a bunch of school kids on an island. <laughs> Don't cut pigs' heads off. Oh. <laughs> Have you read uh, Beauty Queens by Leva Bray? No. Okay. Uh, it's basically, it's a, bun- it's a plane crashes with a bunch of beauty queens. <laughs> and it's making fun of Lord of the Flies. Oh, so instead of creating a dystopian, they like work together. They're like, we've got that beauty queen spirit. Everything is great. <laughs> We're gonna, how are we going to make the world better? Lord of the Flies satire? Yeah. Um, That's it's, funny. It's really funny. Um <laughs> And then you find out that there's more going on on the island they crashed on. But, like, at one point, and, like, Leo Bright has, like, dark humor. So, like, one of the girls has, like, the tray table lodged in her head. And they can't take it out. So they're just like, this is how we're living for now. New hat. Yeah. <laughs> um, but they're like, all right, well, my talent for the pageant was sewing. I can sew together clothing for us. And someone's like, oh, mine was carpentry. I can build things. And it's them like working together and then also like figuring out what's going on with this island. <laughs> That's funny. I like that a lot. It's so good. I also can't imagine though a beauty pageant's talent being carpentry. Like, what was she gonna do? Like build a birdhouse on stage? I was done. <laughs> I guess I guess that's not the point, stage. but it's like <laughs> Yeah, like they all had like different skills that like could tie into survival, but like if you just applied it differently than for the pageant, it was really cool. It sounds like magical girls. <laughs> they just, they're like, we're gonna work together. And like they do have like some like faction-y like breaking off, but like for the most part, they're like, we are beauty queens, we are going to act as though we are on stage for this pageant. <laughs> well-behaved women we are going to win this pageant or you know make sure our island does not fall all into chaos so the question is still favorite factors and situations um for dystopian i really like that it's like one person that can make a difference kind of like the see something say something of like everyone like you said it's most people perceive it to be a utopia but like one person's like this is wrong 
And like once normally that one person speaks up or like does something against the rules, it's like a little ripple domino effect of they didn't do anything huge, but it was enough for other people to be like, you're right. And start making the change. So they don't necessarily do something massive, but by the end it is a huge difference and it has completely shaped the world from like basically like ripple effect, throw a stone to the pond, Mm -hmm. see where it goes. I do like that. Like, it's one person, but, like, they work with other people. They're not like, I'm the hero alone. It's like, I'm the hero that has now made a whole network of other people to help and, like, work together. Yeah, that's why I brought the, the theme up of teamwork. Because yeah. that kind of winds up being a, a central part to the plot as the story goes on. Yeah. It takes a village to overthrow a dystopia. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Pretty much. Like... <laughs> And then our other one is, what are, are your favorite dystopian novels that have been made into movies? I don't have, I've seen many, but I don't have, like, a favorite. But I do really, really like the new Dune, because Timothy Chalamet is, is ooh. <laughs> <laughs> but it's also a truer adaptation of the book. Because don't get me wrong, I love 1984, Dune, but I love it for for a very different reason. And I've met purists who are like, no, that movie is great. It's so good. And I'm like, adaptation? I feel like the newer Dune is truer to the book. I mean, the book is still way more graphic and violent. Both movies dumb down the violence a little bit. But I just don't like how glossed over the second and a good portion of the third book is in the original film, whereas the newer films are actually taking the time and making it a trilogy and following the book and fleshing it out a lot more. So I feel like it's a much truer adaptation of Dune than the 1984 one, even though that one is also very good. That was an experience. I watched it years ago and I'm just like, what's happening? I actually watched it with my husband around Halloween this past year. And it was just a very, <laughs> it was just hilarious, uh, truly. But yeah, they really like gloss over the second book. They just kind of narrate over it and, and say the highlights of it. And then boom, the ending is happening. And then all of a sudden it's over. And I feel like I've missed something. So I'm really glad that they're taking it and revamping it in the new series now i haven't seen the dune movie or read the book but i feel like taking their time with it can also have people like lose interest too because like if you compare that to like the hunger games they did one movie for each book and then the last one was like split into two parts and by the time mocking jay came around i wasn't even interested anymore because it's like i don't want to see part one and then have to wait another year for part two yeah you know what i mean that was like trend chasing though, because I feel like Harry Potter yeah, did it. First. Got yeah. split in half and like kind yeah. of needed to be. It was like a- and then Twilight oh. did it and oh. then Hunger Games did it. Yeah. Yeah. And then yeah, so they're just kind of like trend chasing of like, oh, the last book needs to be split into two. And I was like, this is unnecessary. Like you said, that was unnecessary. Movies have also been trending towards becoming longer. Whereas when we were kids, they were like a lot shorter. They were an hour to an hour and a half. Now it's like two hour and a half to three hours avatar. (laughs) But I feel like that's also part of that where they want to trend longer, but instead of just committing to one long film, they just cut it into two. I'm not sure. I do not have the like attention span. Like I can't stay in a movie theater for three hours. Like I plus credits plus previews. previews. Yeah. 
I'm like, you can book your seat. I'm going to slide in like five minutes before the movie starts. So I'm like, I can show up like 20 minutes late. Still pretty sick. I feel very eh towards both Divergent and The Hunger Games. I don't know which one I prefer over the other. I guess Divergent's slightly more interesting based on the characters. I don't know which one to put above the other. I've only read and watched The Hunger Games and I have not done either for Divergent, so okay. I cannot contribute other than like, I, I enjoyed The Hunger Games, my, the only yeah. one I've read in this situation. My feelings towards them are the same, which is just kind of like, eh. <laughs> Both the movies and the books. Although I think the book for Divergent's a bit better. Yeah, the, the writing is, is pretty good. I know for this question, I had two movies in mind. I put down The Maze Runner, I read the book and then watched the movie. I thought the movie was terrible, so I can't even say it's my favorite. I only watched the movie. I only because, watched the movie as well. And like, I only watched the movie at all because I was watching Teen Wolf, and I was like, "All right, Dylan." Oh, and Dylan O'Brien's in it. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, "All right, let's go watch this." And I was like, "I have no basis for comparison of like how is this compared to the book." But I was like, "Well." That's a movie, and I was like, oh, it's the kid that plays Newt that does not age, and I can never remember his name. Yeah, it's like, when you read the book first, then the movie is terrible. The mm. general concept was the same, where it's boys in a maze and they're trying to get out, but all the events that lead up to the ending are completely different, and I was like, oh. what is this? <sighs> I didn't know that. I'm like, this is not what I read, so... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Going back to old ones, there's also the original movies for Fahrenheit 451 and 1984. I've had to watch both for school. <laughs> the 1984 movie is a very, very true adaptation of the book, which means it's just as boring watching it as it is reading. <laughs> I kind of maybe have nodded off in class during that one. Uh, the film for Fahrenheit 451, and I'm talking like the 1966 one is a wild watch. I don't know if you've ever seen that. It's very avant-garde. Oh, maybe like, I have. Just the way it's shot and just like the how it plays out. The audio is a bit garbled, but it's 1966. So like, I don't know. <laughs> but then it doesn't end with like, I guess spoilers for a movie from 1966. But like, it doesn't end <laughs> with, with the like bomb going yeah, I spoiled the end of the book already, so. it, 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 they go off into the woods and like go live with I guess the rebels I mean, they do in the book and then the bomb goes off they just kind of nix the, the bomb the bomb happening they just kind of let them want like the movie just kind of ends they wander off into the, the woods and that's it <laughs> I like found out there was a movie and there was a new movie as well and I was very confused because I was like yeah Ray Bar- Adbury hated radio yeah like not television i was like oh it's against television i'm like it is but it's mostly against radio like that yeah. man did not support radio broadcasts and he greenlit not one well one well he was dead for the second movie but like he greenlit a movie for his book against radios yeah. and i was like how did we get here I'm like probably you need money it was a speculation but like i heard mixed things about the 2018 version i just didn't even i was like, like no <laughs> I heard that if you watch the original movie, it's better than the original movie, but it's still kind of meh. <laughs> so I haven't seen that. I did like the serial for The Handmaid's Tale. I watched season one. <laughs> well, like, they continue making more past where the book ends, 
So anything past that season, it, I, I completely lost interest. It kind of was like they backpedaled on all the character development and stuff and started people from square one, and I didn't like that. So like anything past like the second guy's house didn't make any sense to me. So once they ran out of the source material, they just kind of threw spaghetti at the wall. <laughs> and I kind of just stopped watching at that point. But if you watch the first three seasons, it's okay. That also makes me think of, it's not a dystopian, but have you ever seen 13 Reasons Why, that TV show? I have a very staunch, big, fat no <laughs> towards both the book and the TV show. Um, but, <laughs> well, I, I did both of them, but... What I'm trying to say is it kind of made me think of the same thing because after season one of the TV show, they ran out of the material for the book. So then they kind of continued the story beyond the book. And I feel like they exploded the story like out of proportion and made it 10 times more dramatic than it actually was for the sake of making a watchable, bingeable TV show. And I love the book. I thought the book was beautiful. And then I watched the TV show and I'm like, yeah, it follows the book really well, but they just made 10 times more of the drama, which was completely unnecessary. I mean, as an anime fan, they often do us dirty like that, where they continue (laughs) well past the source material and make it bad. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Speaking of anime, one of the things I have down for dystopian novels into movies is Battle Angel Alita. Yeah. The movie's goofy. (laughs) I remember reading the manga, like, 15 years ago at this point, and, like, really enjoying it. Yeah. And like you're like, oh, I like like this. We have it on, I want to say Libby or Hoopla. Like we have it digitally. Yeah. And then be like, I loved it. Do I remember any of it? Not greatly. I just remember she says I work in like random chunks of it since mm-hmm. it's been so long. And I was like, oh, they're gonna make it into a movie. And I'm like, I don't know why I got excited. I knew this was gonna go badly. <laughs> it wasn't as gritty. Like it, no, it, was it like made it movie. kind of nice. And I'm like, the whole point of it being a dystopia is for it to not be nice. Like, I don't want to live in this world. And, like, the original manga makes it so that, like, and I I think that also lends to, like, comic books and graphic novels where uh, the visuals can help elevate the story. So it being kind of gritty and dark made you really feel bad for the characters. Um, Whereas it was kind of bright and fun in the movie. It was very neon. And I'm like, uh, (laughs) that doesn't seem so bad. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Yeah. My eyeballs are funny. (laughs) I enjoyed this, but it's definitely not the source material vibe. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. Did either of you read or watch uh, Sweet Tooth? No. We definitely have it digitally. I'm pretty sure we have it print now as well. But... It's not YA, but um, it, it's, not, it's a Netflix adaptation, so teens might or might not have watched it, where the protagonist is a boy born with antlers. Yes. And it is dark and it is gritty. Like, it's like new adult. It's new adult, yeah. Um, it is real dark and gritty and like very much like the world kind of ended. So you find out, like, he's young or nine, mm-hmm. um, but you find out that like the world kind of ended about when he was born. And he's never been outside, like, a forest preserve because, like, he's a kid with antlers. So it's, like, him trying to survive on his own after his father passes away and then, like, going out into the world, finding out about what the world outside is like. I wanted to watch that. It looked really good. My mother-in-law watched it. She recommended it to us, and she said it was hard to describe. It was odd, but in a good way. 
And I'm like, okay. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's like dark and depressing, but like I just marathon with the uh, graphic novels for it. And then was oh, like, I didn't know it was a graphic novel. It's a graphic novel. Um, so like they're really easy to go through. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> That's another good um, dystopian of like, it's definitely like a little more above like YA level in parts. Have you ever agree with The Walking Dead and stuff like that? You're yeah. That level. They're a real niche pick that my husband and I watched all three seasons of is dark have you ever seen dark no no it came onto netflix when stranger things started getting kind of big and it's in the same vein of stranger things but not like monsters and and dimensional stuff but kind of but it's also a german show but we watched it in the english dub over which I was skeptical about because I didn't want to have like a Godzilla moment, but it wasn't bad. You can watch it in the English dub over and it like, it's pretty okay. It's the wildest thing. My husband and I still talk about it to this day because it just goes places. It has to do with like time travel. You don't think it's dystopian, but it does have to deal with parallel timelines. So you have like the main timeline that branches and, like, in the other branches, once this particular event on this particular day happens, the dystopian happens. So it's, like, the world ending, and then, like, you wind up switching timelines and seeing where some of the characters end up. It's so insane. The first two seasons are, like, very, very good, and just the first one to three episodes is very slow because you're setting up all the people in the town and all the people in the town have like skeletons in their closet and they're all interconnected through misdeeds they've done to each other and it's because of this like butterfly effect that the end of the society happens so then you wind up following a couple of the characters who go back or forward in time and you can see where society winds up and how people are managing like past it crumbling and everything like that and it's all like a butterfly effect the result of two people's decisions really which is is so wild the third season goes off the rails completely i remember when my mom was binging through it and she's like i'm so lost in season three and i'm like just trust me watch the whole way through and then the final episode explains everything and it ends and you're just like, wow, that was insane. <laughs> I want to say it's very good. It's just very, very, very strange and you have to have the patience to watch it. <laughs> I have a hard time keeping up with TV shows, so I don't think that's the one for me. <laughs> no, <laughs> that's true. Don't. You would probably drop off somewhere in season two. <laughs> Yeah, I need, like, a buddy to be, like, we're keeping watching this. And I'm like, okay, like, it, you kind of, like, I'm not yeah, right up following up on TV shows either. I'm like, and, like I said, it's a German TV show as well. Just, like, the way, like, I guess it's it's written, it's formatted, like, storytelling might be a little bit different. As, but, like, I find that interesting. Yeah. So, yeah. Are there any other dystopian books that you want to mention or bring up? I think we hit the big ones, right? We actually did not talk about anything by Marie Lu. Oh, yeah. 
<laughs> we actually missed like a lot of like major dystopian authors. Is that like Cinder? No, that's Marissa Meyer. Uh, yeah. We missed a bunch of like major like dystopian what? names. I'm old and I haven't read the books. Um, <laughs> all right. Uh, so Marie Lou did uh, Warcross, where oh. she's a hacker that gets like brought in. Yeah, like she's a hacker, and then she gets called by the government. The government's like, "You work for us now." Like, and then she's like trying to still work from the inside as a hacker. And it was like video game kind of based. Yeah. Yeah. Brandon Sanders, and I think all of his are also dystopian. I just haven't read any of his. I don't know. Um, it, you're edging towards like new adult tail end of YA, but I really enjoyed Cyberpunk Edge Runners. Uh, that destroyed my soul in the best way possible. Uh, Studio Trigger at its finest. And even though it's not a book, it's based on the game, which is dystopian, which is, you know, very. I guess you could throw in Blade Runner in there, too, because it's kind of in the same vein. Yeah. I don't know. Was Blade Runner a book? Blade Runner is based on the book Do Android Stream of Electric Sheep by Phil K. Dick. Have you seen, uh, well, obviously the original and then like the newer one with Ryan Gosling? Yes. Except I've marathoned them, so they've blurred into one movie. (laughs) It kind of is. It kind of is. Yeah. I enjoyed the second one. I think a bit more than like other people did. But I also really like the original Blade Runner. Do you have any others? The only other big one I really, really like is An Ember in the Ashes series by Saba Tahir. I only read the first one so far because these books are really long and I'm a slow reader. So I have a hard time binging series one right after the other. But I really, really like the first one. That book is about the Martial Empire who is ruled by the Emperor. And everybody knows not to defy the Emperor because you know what happens because bad things happen to those who do. So the main character, Laia, lives with her grandparents and her brother. And her grandparents are killed by the Emperor's soldiers. And her brother is arrested for treason. So in order to get her brother out of prison, Laia enlists the help of the Rebel Alliance, who agrees to help her break her brother out of prison. And in exchange, Laia has to spy for them in the Empire's greatest military academy, which is a really hard job. And there, Laia meets Elias, who is the school's finest soldier, but he's also the school's most unwilling soldier. He really doesn't want to enforce the laws or anything like that. And they kind of realize they need each other's help in order to get what each of them wants. So I think there's four or five in the series, but they are pretty long, but they're pretty quick reads. They're not hard to understand or anything like that, but I really enjoyed them. Like the author name sounds familiar, but yeah. She also wrote All My Rage, which like just came out. Yeah. Thanks for joining us today. Be sure to check out the Ocean County Library's website for more podcasts and events. All titles mentioned in today's episode can be found through the Ocean County Library, free with your library card. Until next time, happy reading. (laughs) 